we kind of had a philosophy that we hired people to work with us, not for us. We didn't, you know, sit in a corner office and all that. We were right there with them, trying to let them have freedom to make good choices and approach it from a very humble perspective that, you know, we're just working there with them and we're all working together as, as a team to, to make the company succeed. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Chuck, I know that one of the big issues out there is hiring skilled laborers, and Alro actually has a solution for that. You guys have a bunch of value-added secondary services that you perform for your customers. Tell us, what are the most popular secondary services that you do? I agree. I mean, hiring people for us is also a challenge, but when we, when we do this, coupled with the equipment and the logistics and the products we have, it does what you're saying. You don't have to occupy space, valuable space in your facility. You don't have to hire the skilled labor to run the sophisticated value-added equipment that you don't have to buy anymore. So all those things combined help take some of that and move some of these products upstream so you can get busy with your equipment that's so good at making precision parts, not having to worry about a precision cut and having to face off an eighth of an inch or more. You can get it in there and take one pass and be done. Uh, so it, it does help with the capital, the space, and the hiring of skilled labor to do those processes. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name is Jason Zenger, and this is Making Chips, where we equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And I'm here in the studio with my good friend, Jim Carr. How you doing, Jim? Jason, I'm doing well. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Good to see you again. Yeah. It's going to be a busy day. We've got some great, great people lined up for today's recordings. And I'm super, super, super excited about uh, talking to the guest we have with us today. And um, it's good to be here with you. Absolutely. I, I love getting together with you because you're always updating me on all your business acquisitions and things going on at Zangers. And busy, and busy. You inspire me to think differently well, about I appreciate my that. business and what I'm doing and the right, the right and the wrongs of uh, what I'm doing. Even, even the the old self that I am that thinks I know it all. Um, <laughs> well, I appreciate that you're willing to learn. Yeah, we, you know, we should all be willing we, to learn, We right? should all be, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of learning, in today's manufacturing news, the governor of Rhode Island wants to rebuild and reinvent manufacturing. So she's trying to encourage the young people, like we always try and pursue and you know be advocates for teaching students, young people about technology, advanced manufacturing technology. Yeah, that, that's great. And you know what? I always forget that Rhode Island's a state. You know, yeah, it's it, so it, tiny. It is and, tiny. You know, but it's, re just, it's relevant, right? I mean, it comes up in the news, you know, once every five or 10 years. And it's like, oh yeah, Rhode Island. Ro always forget it's, about it's them. It's right over there, right? There's like 2,000 people that live in that state. Uh, I think it's more than is that. Is it a little bit more than yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit more. Uh, Gina Romando is the governor of Rhode Island. And I, I love that she's, I mean, she was 
on my Google News uh, for re- regarding manufacturing. I mean, I thought, it's awesome. I mean, kudos to Gina for you know speaking up for manufacturing and and trying to get that education in the high schools. I mean, that's awesome. It is. Well, you know, I think there's a big push here in Illinois for the same thing, and with Obama being from Chicago, Illinois, um, I think that it's been something that has been in the limelight for the last few years at least, just trying to push the technology, uh, the advanced manufacturing technology education that's so badly needed in this country. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost like manufacturing is cool now and it's, you know, trendy. So the governors want to talk about manufacturing, which is great. And, you know, what we've been talking a lot about, you know, I know we don't get like political, like politically sided, but right. we, we, try, we try to keep Yeah, I mean, we, we've been talking about Trump several times as it relates to the news. But, you know, I have to say that it is encouraging that Obama, same with Trump, Obama, Trump, whether you agree or disagree with e- either one of them on policy, Obama was a pro-manufacturing president. Trump, seems to be a pro manufacturing president and that's pro business, great. yeah right well yeah. not only pro business i mean but, i would never call obama pro business but i would call him pro manufacturing you know the industry and the importance of it for our country um huge. I, w- I would i would probably categorize obama as anti-business but um he's definitely pro manufacturing as it, as it relates to what is going to make this country better Right, right. So it's great to see that manufacturing is just being talked about, talked about, talked about on a more consistent basis, even in our dear friends in the little state of Rhode Island. Exactly. And I I just want to read a few excerpts from this particular article. Define the word excerpt. Excerpts, it's when when you pull something out of something. Okay, I just want to make sure you you weren't, you know, just... You know, trying to make up a word that you you heard from somebody else. We we give each other the dictionary test, Uh, you know, and I've learned a lot by 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 doing that. I actually have another word that's used in this article: acerbic. Do you know what that means? Not please enlighten me. Did you did you read the whole article and did you gloss past (laughs) acerbic, or did you only read the first like two paragraphs of the article and then you got bored and moved on? Five paragraphs. Five paragraphs. Okay, so acerbic (laughs) is when you talk in a very sharp and. to the point way. Oh, yeah, there we go. In an acerbic response to the address, House Minority Leader Patricia Morgan was critical of the tuition plan, saying no amount of free tuition will stop the 25 to 45 age demographic from leaving the state. All right, so you never got there in the article I, anyway, did I you? I don't remember reading that, Okay, no. so go on with your excerpts. Romando, a Democrat, largely directed her speech at a blue-collar middle-class population holding high school diplomas but struggling to find jobs, the same nationwide voter base credited with electing Republican Donald Trump as president. So here's a Democrat that's pro-blue-collar, pro-middle-class. Which making chips is also. We are. And it's kind of refreshing to see a Democrat kind of doing the same thing a Republican Donald Trump is doing. So, you know, it'd be nice to be aligned as a country. Exactly. And that's what I love to see. Manufacturing. You know, I'm bipartisan in a lot of ways. And I just, I just like when we can play nice in the sandbox together. Absolutely. And maybe manufacturing can be that uniting force for this country. I sure to literally make, make it better, make America great again, make America pun intended. Amen. Because we're makers, right? We are. We are. So we have a great guest with us today in our studio. Um, Paul's been a big uh, advocate 
for making chips for quite some months now. I just talked to him a little bit. That's the first time we had met. He actually flew here all the way from Washington State uh, because he felt the need to be on the show and wanted to share his unique story. And um, I've reviewed it, and I have to tell you, it is it is really um, an enlightening and an empowering story. So, Jason, you want to go ahead and, and introduce our guest and give a little bit of his bio and, and let the people know who... Uh, we're going to be talking to today. I certainly will. So we have with us today Paul Van Meter. And did I pronounce that correctly, Paul? You sure did. Okay, great. So Paul is a graduate of Western Washington University with a Bachelor's of Science in Industrial Technology. And there he partnered up with some other undergrads and built three race cars for the Formula SAE. I assume Formula SAE is a type of race? Uh, Society of Automotive Engineers. Mm-hmm. Ah, gotcha. Okay, great. Um, and there they they machined all of the parts on the school's CNC machines with aluminum donated from Boeing. That's yeah. that's Isn't pretty that cool? great. That mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, that machining experience inspired them to open up a machine shop together, which they self-funded uh, with a new CNC machine from a second mortgage from one of the partners. Uh, they were aggressive about being high-tech, paperless, and process-driven, employee-focused, marketing, and customer-driven, and very lean. A lot of the stuff that we that we <laughs> no, talk about here on making chips, right? Um, and they grew the company to a staff of seventy five people and eleven million in sales. That's great. Um, and also during that during that process, they developed a web based um, ERP system, which is another company that Paul now runs. So welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you guys. I'm excited to be yeah, here. Yeah, welcome, Paul. Good to have you. Thanks for traveling. The distance. I hope you're going to be doing something fun here in Chicago while you're here. Oh, I had some deep dish last night, so oh, already. Oh, of course. You had Lou's? Uh, no, what was uh, Giordano's, I oh, think? Oh, Giordano's. Giordano's okay. pretty good. Second yeah. fiddle, but no, right. that's okay. It's I, I, We're kind of, well, are you a Lou's guy? Well, no. I mean, oh. I, I would say that anybody that comes to Chicago, if you want some recommendations, I mean, email Jim and I. I mean, we'd be happy to, you know... <laughs> Give you some good recommendations. Now, Everybody always goes to the tourist traps, you know. That's I mean, but Lou's isn't a tourist trap. Eh, kind of is. No, oh, whatever. Well, anyway, it, it, the one talking, right here, the one downtown is. This, this for is not sure. a podcast about pizza, so you know <laughs> it's not. But it's awfully good. I think you're just craving it because you're on that crazy diet. <laughs> I know. I yeah. Um, I'll take any kind of pizza at this point. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> but anyway, welcome to the show, Paul. It's thanks, really guys. it's really great to have you here, and and thanks for being an you know an advocate and ambassador to making chips and well, thanks uh, for inviting me out. Yeah, I appreciate it. Doing all the, uh, all the, all those great things. So let's back up a little bit and why don't you tell us and the metalworking nation a little bit about your education? Cause I think it's relevant to how you got your start in the industry. Sure. So when I was growing up, I, I thought I wanted to be an engineer and actually design cars. So right out of high school, I actually went and worked at a racing school and learned how to be a race mechanic. Kind of, I kind of figured it like uh, I wanted to learn how to work on cars before I went and built them, or before I went okay. and, before okay. I built and, uh, went and started designing them. So I started a mechanical engineering program at Boston University, but after the first year, it was just too dry. I just didn't love it. Uh, it wasn't hands-on enough. It wasn't sort of getting my fingers dirty. And that was because of the university. Right. Because it was just it was mechanical engineering. Okay. It wasn't yeah. The university itself wasn't hands on. It was all book work. Right. And I'm a kind of get your hands dirty kind of guy. So I read about this program out in Washington, and they had a vehicle research institute where you get to design and build cars and get a degree at the same time. Wow. And I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I uh, moved across country, sight unseen, and uh, and, and enrolled in this program. Wow. And uh, 
from day one, you're out in the shop uh, working on what vehicles. What kind of CNCs did they have? At the time, it was pretty early. This, so this was in the uh, early mid-90s. Okay. Uh, 93 is when I arrived there. And they had uh, a Haas VF2, and okay. they had an early Mazak lathe. Okay. And uh, so we All were... All names that we're very familiar with. Yeah. So we were out there uh, making chips from, you know, almost the first day we started school. They had a, a policy that really allowed us to get out there and learn. So and, did you learn. learn how to program the machine? Absolutely. Yep. Right there? Yep, yep. Okay. So GM so, code programming or... For sure. Yeah. Yep. We had G81, a... G81, G80. G83. Yep. M3, absolutely. M8. All those things? Absolutely. Good. Sure. Good. Sure. So then it was, how many times did you ram the tool into the vice <laughs> or into the table? We had a couple of crashes. Nothing too terrible. But uh, yeah, it happened. We were you were young and inexperienced. That's how you learn, right? Of course, yeah. You just got to get in you, there and you got to break it. a few drills. You gotta, you got. I, I still there's still holes in our in the table in our CNCs that we have in the shop that I've done that I you know 20 years ago in some of our our, our older machines. So yeah, Jim still crashes tools all the time now. Not all the lie. time. I don't. I thank God I'm not in the shop anymore. I, I took a better position. What do you know? Now I just talk about it. You know, I talk about the mistakes. But anyway, you learn how to run these CNC machines, and you're learning about designing cars. And yeah, go ahead. So we basically uh, every year we would design and build a, a, an entirely new car, and, and do all do all the machining for all the parts. And we absolutely loved it. Uh, we loved the teamwork. We loved machining. We loved the manufacturing process. We love the intensity of a project like that. It's kind of like a startup company every year over and over again. Uh, and we, when, we, when we got close to graduation, we said, you know what, guys? We don't want to go our separate ways and just go get jobs. Let's, uh, let's start a company together. Wow. And uh, we actually wanted to start a car company, to be honest. Oh, really? You yeah. wanted to be the Tesla at that time? We did. We did. But uh, we didn't have uh, Elon Musk's money. So we said, you know what? This is going to be too difficult to start a car company from scratch. Why don't we start a machine shop? Because we need all the same kind of machines and processes and people. And then we were pretty dumb and naive, to be honest. How many so of, of you are there? There were six of us that started six. the company. Wow. Six partners. Wow. Yes. Yep. Six of us that all that we were all I on was that searching same team for, together. I was searching for that information the other day. And we were all on that team to... together. Okay, so go, go ahead, please continue. And uh, so we, uh, one of our partners was uh, a little older, already owned a house, and he had enough equity to pull out a, a second mortgage on it. And we used that money to buy a Haas Via Four, and pay for a few months of rent, and buy a you know an old manual lathe used, and some uh, some equipment, and we opened doors. And the six of you cumulatively had enough horsepower and knowledge of the industry to keep that machine running did somebody have connections with um not really okay. we were so really kind of that evolved because <laughs> here's six of you you got the machine you got the space you got the machines yep you got the experience running the machines you got the space you got to give paychecks to each other. I mean, yeah, there's a you, lot of factors. It took a, it took a year door, or two. We, we had a lot of ramen, yeah. uh, to be honest. Oh, did you? Okay. But uh, yeah, we. I mean, we started hitting the streets. We did have a couple of connections. Actually, one of the, the machining professors we had, by the time we graduated, had left and gone uh, into industry. So we actually had a couple connections. So we actually called a couple of uh, people we knew. The first, uh, The first... Uh, order I think we got almost was a, a mold for a snowshoe from the uh, composites professor that we that we took some classes from. And, and how far after you started the company did you get that first order? 
Oh, it was probably a few months. Okay. I don't know. It oh. took a little while. Yeah, I, I bet. I, I that bet. was a long it's time ago easy. now. That was a long. That was '97, so I, my memory's not that good back yeah, then. I, I hear you. But uh, I mean, you grew the company into a, an 11 million dollar business. I mean, you had to have some kind of horsepower. But my my next question I want to ask. I got so many things in my in my head. I want to ask. So you started out with six in 1997. Mm-hmm. How long did the six stay united? In the business? Uh, I would... Good question? Yeah, good question. Your friend Tim um, is shaking his head, yes. <laughs> Tim's here with me. He was actually one of our original founders as well. Okay. And uh, it was probably about a year and a half, two, something, yeah. something like that. So we eventually got down We eventually got down to three. Okay. And three was the, the other core all through the... Yep, yep. But uh, even those first three guys that left uh, are still fantastic friends today. There was it just never, wasn't a good there was fit. never a f- yeah. I mean, Tim went and started another company. Another guy went back to business oh, school. Oh, Tim, Tim was one of the guys that got bought out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 So anyway, um, it was you know our our partnership uh, certainly with the three of us that that took it all the way through to the end. Um, it was an incredibly important relationship. It's hard to have business partners that agree and get along all the time, but we just meshed really well, and it was a real strength of ours. I kind of think of us as three legs of a stool. Without it, one of them, the whole thing would tip over. That's but a good analogy. Were, were the three partners, were you doing essentially the same job? No, we had different job titles. Well? Yep. Okay. Um, so your job one was, was sort of the CFO. Um, I was the president uh, for most of it and a very kind of customer-facing kind of sales position. And then my other partner was really the operational guy. Okay. Great. Those are the, those are the three roles that you need. Yep, those are the sure three are. main ones. So let me ask you, when we, what was your aha moment where you said, holy crap, this, this is really turning into um, a relevant business and we can really make a go of it? You know, to be honest, I don't recall an actual aha moment, but probably when we first started getting a paycheck, <laughs> that oh. might have been the moment. But that took oh, a good year or so, I don't know, several months. Um, it was a slow start, but uh, we certainly plugged away. We had the passion to, to, make, it, to make it work, uh, and we just were relentless in, in uh, trying to make it a good company. And I think the fact that we didn't come into the industry with any preconceived notions was actually a strength that really helped us. Uh, I think we brought kind of a fresh perspective to the industry. I mean, I've never heard of someone starting a machine shop out of college, let alone a bunch of a group yeah. of people. So uh, we you know, there was a bunch of sort of core principles that we knew we wanted to embrace. We wanted it to be paperless. We had certainly learned about lean in, in college, and we embraced lean manufacturing in a huge way. Uh, we were very, very process oriented. Lots of checklists. I know you've talked about checklists on other sh- podcast episodes. Um, doing five S really in detail, and then uh, eventually embracing you know ISO nine thousand. And we were pretty much an aerospace shop uh, after a few years, so we got AS ninety one hundred certified. Also, in what ways were you lean in a way that a startup is different than? say, a family-owned business with some legacy or, I guess you could say, some baggage associated right. with them. Yeah, so I think without that that baggage or, or bad habits, uh, we really kind of uh, approached it with a fresh set of eyes and, and uh, took some of the, the basic principles that we learned, you know, that we read online, and we actually did even hire a consultant to come help us with it. But we implemented in the office. We implemented in the shop. We had Kaizen newspapers all over the place doing uh, 5S activities, um, 
you know, doing those Kaizen newspapers was actually really big for us. It was probably one of the best tools we used. We had at least probably five of them in the company in different departments. So we had one in the office, one in our programming office. Uh, we had a Kaizen newspaper out in the production milling area. Can you, our... can you explain the whole idea of a Kaizen newspaper in detail? Sure, absolutely. So we actually had, it's just one of these big post-it note type sheets that sit on the wall. And if someone ran across one of the seven wastes from the Toyota production system, whether it be overproduction or waiting or processing or motion, they would write down what that problem was, what that waste was. And they would write it down and then they could write down a potential solution for it. And, and then on a schedule, maybe once a week or depending on, on the team, they would get together with, you know, four or five people get together and tackle all the items that were on that newspaper. And they would come up with a solution and, you know, and talk to stakeholders and say, how are we going to, how are we going to eliminate this waste? So you're, you're essentially accumulating like an issues list related to lean on an ongoing basis and then taking care of those in a very systematic way. To me, it sounds like an idea board. You know what I mean? At Zengers, we call that an issues list. You can call it an idea board. There's a lot of, you know, depending on the culture of your company, there's a lot of different ways to call those things. If mm-hmm. you're, you know, really aggressive on the lean, the Kaizen newspaper is a great way to do that. So in what ways were you marketing focused that was different as a startup as opposed to a company that, you know, has some legacy to them? Well, perhaps because we were a startup and didn't have a lot of relationships, we had to be very marketing focused just to get sales in the door. So we were, I mean, this was, you know, pretty early on. So we, we made sure we had a, a pretty nice website as early on as possible uh, and put a lot of content on there that, uh, that, you know, potential customers might find, focused really heavily on SEO, search engine optimization. In fact, there was almost a year-long period where if you did a search for CNC machine shop in Google, we were the number one natural result. Wow. Congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Do you think that that contributed to the growth of the company at the time? Because I know like, you know, back then they probably didn't sort based on location. Whereas now, you know, if you search in the Chicagoland area, you might get somebody different than when you search yeah, in Washington. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We definitely got business from it. No doubt. We had at least one or two calls a week, you know, from people that had just found us online and wanted us to quote things for them. Right. You know, I, I, I imagine at that time somebody calls up and they're like, my coworker told me to go on this Google thing and look for a new machine shop. And right. <laughs> you guys came up. I mean, it was all very new it at, was very at that new. point in time. So, you know, also related on the um, employee focused. I mean, that seems to be, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that, that we, my, my company, we focus on. There's a lot of what I like to call people-centric companies. Um, but in what ways were you guys employee focused that differentiated you from uh, the competitors that you had? Well, we did a few things differently. Uh, we first, uh, we hired very, very carefully. We did really thorough interviews. Uh, we made you sure that... process probably? Oh, yeah, we absolutely had a process for it. Because uh, it was, your company yeah. was very process-oriented. We were yes. certainly process-oriented. Okay. Uh, we made sure that the cultural fit was right, even more than mm. the technical skills. Well, he's speaking our language, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was critical. Uh I like to say we, uh, we had some nice perks. Uh, we actually offered free food. Uh, even before Google was in business and offering free food to all their employees. Wow. So we, uh, and, what, and what was your rationale at that time for doing that? When we first started the business, you know, there were six of us, and we said, you know what, we might as well make lunch a business expense. So let's just buy it. food That's at funny. the company <laughs> so we don't have to <laughs> buy it for ourselves. And as we started hiring employees, we just kept doing that. You know, we stopped ordering food in every day, but we started going to the grocery store and keeping a fully stocked kitchen that That's people great. could come That's and make awesome. a sandwich and... 
And, uh, and you know, it was to our benefit, we think, because they would come and make a sandwich while their machines were running and keep the spindles turning. Because when you're not making chips... You're, you're not, not making, making money. money. Bam. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> He's listening. He is. <laughs> I said he was an ambassador, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that that is great. One of the things that I've been thinking about as a company is, you know, how do you, you know, being, like, like I mentioned, people-centric is, you know, you care for the people that you work so with. So that was, yeah, yeah, that was, it, besides the free food, I mean, that's like the icing on the cake. Yeah. But we kind of had a philosophy that we hired people to work with us, not for us. Mm-hmm. We didn't, you know, sit in a corner office and all that. We were right there with them trying to, you know, hire the best people, let them have freedom to make good choices and approach it from a very humble perspective that, you know, we're just working there with them and we're all working together as, as a team to, to make the company succeed. That's great. Well, I have a question about being a fully digital operation. Sure. How painful was that to implement? Well, for us, it wasn't painful at all because that's how we started. So from day one, we actually, we didn't have a big ERP system when we started, of course. So we started with Excel and Word, Mm -hmm. but we had all our work orders as, you know, digital worksheets and we'd have a computer out at every machine. For us, it was natural, but uh, it's the benefits of it uh, are almost too numerous to mention. Uh, Start mentioning them. Yeah, just, yeah. I'll give you a few. So I did a a blog post a a couple months, a few months ago about this and I I did some Googling on it. And it blew my mind. So uh, just from from various sites I found, 15% of an organization's revenue is spent creating, managing, and distributing paper documents. A typical five-drawer file. What was that percentage again? 15%. Wow. So that would be in probably in people costs, correct? Mostly people costs, yeah. I mean, the, they say the actual cost of the paper, the handling costs are 10 to 31 times greater than the cost of the actual paper. Wow. So, uh, and another one that I thought was funny was the typical drawer in a five-drawer cabinet, filing cabinet, costs $500 a year to maintain. And that's including, that's, the, that's including the rent, the space for it to sit there, the people to pull files in and out. People you know, ask each other questions. Hey, you know, can you go look up this, yep. you know, purchase Find, order for finding, me or this design or whatever else it is? Yeah. Yep. Finding missing documents. Uh, dealing with obsolete revs and having to find them all and shred them and get rid of them, especially in our industry, you know, uh, needing to make sure you have revision control really well handled. So how does how does an old company like Jim's that was started by his dad go from being very paperful to paperless? I think that's a great question. I really do because you know there's a lot of diverse people that are listening to the show, and you were young college graduates that started this company, you all were aligned in your values and things that you believed in. Um, Well, you said there was one older guy Mm -hmm. in there, but you know, it is, it's very, very hard for manufacturing companies to move away from old processes and really engage the new technologies that are available to us. Well, I think, uh, that once you see the benefits of a paperless system, in, in my estimation, you know, the, the, the cost of moving the paper around, that's not really the, the biggest benefit. But once you start showing people the benefits of, of eliminating paper, the light bulbs really start going off and they can see the value. And if, you know, if they care about reducing costs in their company and increasing their profitability and how nimble they are and they, they kind of want to gravitate to it, uh, and there is a little bit of a learning process for sure. It's not mm-hmm. totally simla- seamless. That's the business we're in today. Uh, so we're you know we try to help companies through that process. But uh, you have to change your processes. 
you know, you have to really think differently about the way you do things and and tell people that we have a different way of doing things now, or we're going to make a transition towards that. Yeah, and and honestly, there there are a few companies that uh, that just aren't ready for it, and we say, you know what, I, we love the idea that you're inquiring about our system, but it's it's clear that you're going to keep holding on to paper, and and uh, there, there's a different system out there for you than us. So going back to the company that you started, yeah, how did you get to the point of saying it's time to sell this company? So, great question. I said we started the company in 97. In 2000, we kind of had had enough of Word and Excel, and we started to develop a web-based uh, ERP system just for ourselves. When we got big enough, we... None of the ones off the shelf were good enough? We, we looked. We, looked uh, we uh, went out online uh, as best we could back then um, and, you know, and looked for all the systems that were out there, had people come in and give us demos, and yeah, to be honest, we didn't think any of them were worth buying. So we knew a pretty skilled developer, and we hired him full time, and just said, you know what, we're we're do-it-yourself kind of guys. Let's 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 make our own system for ourselves. And honestly, at the time, we had zero intentions of of ever doing anything else with it except having it be for us. But we started showing it to vendors and customers and auditors, and we kept getting this incredible feedback that it was the most robust system they'd seen. And we even had a machine shop customer of ours who also did machining in-house. And they came to us one day and they said, we really want you to sell us this software. And for a while, for several months, we said, no, we're just a machine shop. We're not in the software business. But they were a pretty big customer of ours and they were pretty insistent. So I thank them to this day, uh, Rich at Cell Marine, that uh, we, we finally said yes. Uh, it was such an incredible success that we said, you know what, maybe we're onto something here. So we started to make plans to sell the machine shop and open a new business selling this system. So, so at that point, you said to yourself, we need to get out of the machining business and focus more. Yeah, we saw that. I mean, but, you know, by the time we were done, it was, you know, we'd had the shop for 17 years. I think we, we enjoy the, the excitement of a startup business. We were mm-hmm. looking for something new. You know, we'd, we'd grown uh, our company to, you know, almost, you know, 75 people. Uh, it was it was it was definitely a mature company, but it it kind of needed to just kind of go to the next stage, and we were kind of ready to hand it off to someone else, some other company, to do that and focus on something new. Mm-hmm. So, is that original? Well, the original six went down to three, and yep. then the three of you are completely disbanded now. You you sold the machine shop, and now correct. You're each each the so the three the, of you the, left. The three of us plus our developer. Okay. Are the four that started this new company? Oh, so the, those three are still together, absolutely. With the software development yep. company, okay, yep, absolutely. And, and you ended up selling the company to a larger conglomerate, somebody that was more your peer. Yeah, a larger company that uh, strategically wanted to wanted to buy our shop. Uh, we actually did hire a company to help us through that an M and A mergers and acquisitions okay. company, right, right, right. And they they came and you know did some research and kind of developed a book on us. Uh, and then sent that out to their network. They solicited, you know, inquiries, people that wanted to do uh, sort of an investigation. Uh, they signed NDAs, came and visited the company. That was actually a pretty. That was difficult. Uh, we were so used to being a hundred percent transparent with our customer, with our employees, that to tell them that you know I'm not touring a customer, I'm touring someone that's potentially looking to buy us. Wow. So you did, you told them that you were doing that. Or you did not. We tell did them? not at the very okay. beginning. Okay. Uh, and and how do what did you end up getting um, valued on? Was it the machines? Was it the jobs? Was it EBITDA? It was, was it a percentage sales? of it was a multiple of EBITDA. Okay, yeah. right. Okay, 
with a couple other factors. Yeah, I know. Just to wrap this up, tell us a little bit about how you moved from the machine shop to the software company and what are things looking like right now? Well, uh, it's honestly, it's we think it's a pretty exciting time. Manufacturing seems to be in a real upswing and thriving at the moment. Uh, certainly the industry that we came from in aerospace, you know, the backlog for airplanes is huge, uh, huge. trillions of dollars worth of airplanes that need to be made. So it's a great time to to be a manufacturer. It's a great time to be in our uh, shoes serving them. Uh, and we went to IMTS. We actually partnered with Mastercam and in their booth and uh, sort of did an informal survey of shops, uh, people as they were walking by, about how they liked their ERP software. And I would say on average, well, probably about 10 to 15% of the people I asked actually liked the systems they were using. So that's a lot of opportunity. That sure and is. because we because of where we came from, you know, with chips in our shoes and, you know, coolant on our clothes, we know what it takes and we bring a very different perspective than a lot of the off the shelf systems you see today. It's great. It sounds like a, a success story to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's, you know, being in the manufacturing industry has been incredibly rewarding. And uh, I would encourage anyone listening that's not in the business, join it. It's a, it's a great place to have a career. Do, do you miss having the chips in your shoes and the coolant smell on your clothes? You know, my wife is glad they don't smell like coolant every day when I come home now. But uh, yeah, I absolutely miss it. It, it was, used to it be was, worse. It was bittersweet to, uh, to, to leave our company, uh, of course. We miss those people dearly, but uh, it's also fun to to help companies now and, you know, get to, I think, have a bigger impact that's a bit wider. You bet. All right. Well, that just about wraps it up for time today. Uh, Paul, what a pleasure to meet you finally and uh, have you on the show. I'm sure you've um, inspired a lot of people out there, especially some some younger ones that are thinking about coming into the industry that... Uh, if they have the heart and the passion and the drive to do it, you certainly can. It can be done. Yeah, grab a couple of your buddies at, yeah. at college that you're machining parts with and say, "Let's start a company. Let's eat ramen for you know a couple three of years and or couple three, years, whatever, yeah. whatever it takes." I mean, you're young and you're dumb and you're you know you you have no family to support. I mean, you know, just do it. You know, yeah. just start up a company and you might be you know successful like Paul. You just yeah. never know. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Wow. It, it, it always inspires me to hear people's story and, and share it with uh, the Metalworking Nation because, you know, that's why we're here. That's why we signed, we signed up for this job. Um, our, our initial mission was to equip and inspire, and I think we're still doing that two years later. Absolutely. And like my dad always used to tell me, Jim, if you're not making ships, like Paul said today, you're not making money. Bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the Metalworking Nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. 